Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Well, you and uh, potentially half a million or so of your best friends, uh, new best friends, ended up downtown yesterday in one of the, uh, the the great moments when you get to celebrate a championship. Uh, downtown ends up, obviously, things were not uh, perfect. Uh, as, as you might expect, there are things that did not go well. But for the most part, you had a, a happy event with a happy community and uh, sort of a unified Denver celebrating a, a championship that for a long time felt very, very unlikely. And uh, obviously, Nikola Jokic's quote, uh, which we can't uh, share via FCC regulations about uh, being more than willing to stay, uh, not necessarily zip off to Zambor, Serbia, if he could stay on parade. Uh, was a little more colorful in the way he said it, but uh, seemed to be happy with the parade. But Jokic, uh, you know, caught along with uh, some friends out in Vegas, uh, enjoying the, the nightlife out there, well, you know, well-deserved, uh, have, have a great time, it's all good. But this uh, situation, obviously, the sort of the come down from it, I guess, for, for Nuggets fans, uh, it, it may last a little while. And so, Sandy, when you kind of think about it, we talked about how it, you can't really ever duplicate a first-ever title. And, and ever, ever after the first title... There's always, well, who's to say you can't win one? You've done it before. So the expectations permanently change for a franchise at that point. And the Nuggets, I would not say it's been easy by any stretch of the imagination. I think there has been a lot of expectation for decades because there have been very good Nuggets teams that have not been able to summit that mountain. Now that they have, though, the pressure changes on a, on a lot of people uh, really forever. And I think maybe first among that becomes Michael Malone. I suppose. Uh, I I think that if you're talking about NBA history, and we touched on this point, but did a little more digging overnight, and you're talking about the history of the league and repeat champions, you have only a dozen. And actually, within the last 15 years, you've got three and Denver would be the latest team to have a chance to repeat, but we have not had repeat champions since golden state won two straight in 17 and 18 uh, Miami won two straight in 12 and 13. And the Lakers of course won two straight in 2009 and 2010. Those are, those are the three teams, but, uh, it's interesting that all the coaches, virtually all of them are Hall of Famers. Not always as coaches, by the way. Bill Russell, for example, was a Hall of Famer and really not a particularly good coach, but his record uh, overall and in the playoffs is good because he spent with the Boston Celtics three years in 67, 68, 69 coaching a team that won two championships in those three years, was obviously in the playoffs all three years, made uh, the Eastern Conference Finals all three years, and the NBA Finals twice well, in those me, three years. So I that have built up you. his record. I have However, those names for you, and you're Next right. to Bill Russell, it's hard to mention Mike Malone at this point in the same breath with uh, the Auerbachs and the Rileys and the Dalys yeah. and the Jacksons and the Rudy T's 
and the Spolsters and the Kerrs. It just is. And you can look at his lifetime regular season win percentage and his playoff win percentage way off the pace from all these coaches who have repeated. Winning a championship, and it's the same for Malone as it has been for many years with Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers won one championship. Malone has his first now. Uh, Rivers is a winning coach, as you pointed out the other day, still in the playoffs, although he is now renowned for having lost 10 game sevens during his coaching career, which is a little unfair given the fact that he's won 59% of his regular season games with various teams and almost 52% of his playoff games with various teams and has won a championship. His regular season record is much better than Malone's. Uh, his playoff record is uh, not as good as Malone's at this point. And uh, Malone has beaten Rivers the uh, one time they did get together in the bubble with uh, Rivers coaching the Clippers at that point back in 2020 in Orlando. And, of course, Malone, uh, the head coach of the Nuggets. So it's now uh, whatever it turns out to be the second half, uh, maybe the middle third of Malone's coaching career. The thing to remember with Malone, he's only 51 years of right. age. Only 51. So he figures to be coaching for the better part of the next decade, you would think, at the very least, mm -hmm. and very possibly here in Denver. I, I think now if you're looking at the coaches out of the 30 in the NBA, even the new ones, who within the next, let's say, five years, will be able to coach wherever they are right now, for as long as they want to coach. We named three before the playoffs began. Yep. Spolstra, Steve Kerr, Kerr and Eric Spolstra, Greg Popovich, the winningest coach still in NBA history. Michael Malone, probably for the next four or five years, certainly as long as Jokic is here. Yep. I would argue that. And that's that. another four years, we think. Yep. Right? I would argue that's that. That's the length of his right. contract from here on through the summer of 2027. When his contract expires, then Malone would be here for at least that long a period of time. So I, I would add Malone to the list now and say there are four coaches in the NBA who within the next roughly five years cannot be fired. <laughs> Although we have seen championship coaches fired in sure. recent times. Frank Vogel, Nick Nurse, just to name a couple. Uh, yeah, Mike Budenholzer. Notables, and most recently, Mike Budenholzer. Right. That's the championship coaching list from 19 through 21 right. in the NBA. They're all out. And, of course, the guy who won in 22 is unfireable. That would be Steve Kerr. Mm. Yeah, unfireable is exactly right. The uh, By the way, the news out of the, the Warriors, the, uh, Mike Dunleavy Jr. likely to be now the new GM. Uh, promoting uh, from within. Promoting from within there. Yeah. So uh, make of that what you will with the Warriors. But obviously, the, kind of keeping it. Uh, in the organization there. But, yeah, you, you look at the, the the coaches, and keep in mind, of course, when you're talking about coaches that have won more than two titles ever, in, in, in let alone back-to-back, -back, just any more than two, period, there's only six coaches who have ever done it, uh, ever. And it's even winning two is a monumental, over the course of your career, is a monumental achievement. Well, of course. Uh, of course. If Especially if you win two within a span of five years or less, okay? Uh, Red Holtzman did that with the team of my youth, the New York Knicks, for example. Uh, you know, it, 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 
he'll always, for my money, be one of the best five uh, coaches in the history of the game, and certainly without question, one of the top ten. When you put together winning percentage, multiple championships, short space of time, it wasn't like he won one and then 12 years later won another one with a different team. He won two titles within four years with the same team. But, of course, Popovich has five, and Riley has five, and uh, Phil Jackson has 11. <laughs> right. And our, <laughs> they're our back kind of, nine, of in course. a class right. of, of their own. And our yeah. back, of course, has uh, the string of championships. Uh, the nine in a row he won uh, with the Boston Celtics. And then he retired on top. And Bill Russell came on and won two of the next three. But uh, no coach other than our back has won nine in a row. And I would guess, just a guess here, from here to eternity, there will never be a time uh, in which any no, one coach no. wins nine straight titles no. with no. one team, two teams, three teams, no. or more. It'll never No one's ever going to even again. win nine. I mean, if Greg Popovich could only muster five, and Pat Riley could only muster five, I mean, forget it. That's that. No, no one's getting to nine. I mean, no now, way. Now, Riley did repeat. Uh, the interesting thing about San Antonio is they never did. Right. They won in 99, 03, 05, 07. Pretty good record in odd number of years. The Lakers broke it up in 2001. That was the second of three in a row with Phil Jackson as the head coach. And obviously, uh, that was the Kobe Shaq Lakers of the early 2000s. And then uh, he had a shot at it in 13 and 14. They had the series in 13 wrapped up in the sixth game in Miami. They were up three games to two. They had a lead late in the game. And... uh, an improbable combination of events resulted in them losing. They came back for a rematch next year and wiped out the Heat in a very short series. Much like the Nuggets disposed of the Heat this year, that was what the San Antonio Spurs did to the Miami Heat in 2014. But they never won two in a row. And so if you're looking ahead and talking in terms of the Nuggets doing it, uh, Quickly, the other teams that have repeated um, at least won two in a row. Minneapolis, Boston, Boston again uh, with a different coach and uh, one year of separation because Russell's first year, his Celtics lost to the 76ers, great 76ers team, which at the time had the greatest single-season record of all time in the NBA. Uh, Then you had, of course, uh, uh, the Lakers, remember when Riley talked about a repeat and Kareem tried to put the towel over? Well, actually, that <laughs> came the next year when he started to talk about a three-peat. Uh, the Lakers weren't quite that good, although they did get back to the NBA Finals that third year. Then you had uh, uh, the Daly, Thomas, uh, Lambeer, uh, Pistons of uh, 88, 89, and 89-90. Obviously, the Bulls three in a row, then Houston two in a row. Then Jordan came back, and the Bulls won three in a row again. Uh, Lakers won three in a row. Then they won two in a row in 2009 and 2010. And uh, the Heat, of course, won in 12 and 13, and the Warriors in 17 and 18. That's it. That's uh, the list of repeat champions in the history of the league. And many of those teams are regarded as either the best or among the best teams of all time, depending on the team you choose to pick, first year, second year, Uh, third year or ninth year in the case of the Celtics, who, uh, yes, did win from 57-58 to, uh, I'm sorry, 58-59 through 65-66, won nine in a row. 
if you look at the best players in the league, and let's just use something, it's, it's a, it doesn't matter the metric. Let's say use box plus minus, right? Let's just pick that. Here's one of the reasons why the Nuggets actually stand a pretty good chance. It's because some of the best players in the league are getting older. Out of the top 20 in the entire league, look at some of these names. James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Jimmy Butler, that's half the list. Yeah. Those are guys Great that are point. on the wrong side of 30. So, so there is a Great window point. of opportunity here. And a lot of those guys, the Nuggets already beat. Already beat. Once. So the so the Nuggets find themselves in a window uh, where, where a particularly great generation of players is starting at least. Uh, they're all in the top 20 in box plus minus, so it's not as if they're done by any stretch. But they are starting the process of aging out of the league. Whereas the Nuggets as the uh, tied for the youngest team when it came to the uh, basically qualified minutes, uh, one of the youngest teams in the last 25 years tied with the Warriors, the Nuggets are young and ascending, whereas many of the greats in the league are now on their way down. Now, yes, there's there's the Embiid's and there's the Doncic's and there's, uh, there's the Jason Tatum's. I get that. But there's always going to be great players at any era. But some of the Hall of Fame-level talent that's been in the league of the last couple of years is starting to go into uh, decline. That's a tremendous point. And that and, and may sometimes be the it number one that. reason. Right. That may be the number one reason that the Nuggets are, once again next year, the odds-on favorite to repeat as NBA champions. Now, that is not uncommon. Almost every championship right. team starts as the, the day favorite. after they win the championship or the week after they win the NBA championship is proclaimed as the favorite for the following season. It's true often in hockey, although not this year. Right. Uh, Vegas wins. Next Vegas day they... has the Avs Colorado as the plus 800 favorites uh, to win the Stanley Cup. The other guys are right down the street. They haven't even had their parade. That's right. <laughs> Here that, they are. That's right. Uh, and what was interesting this year, we talked about this at uh, lunch today, uh, a few of us, at a uh, well-known sports hangout. Um, what if the Avalanche had won the Cup this year? Day after, like Las Vegas. Yeah, you'd did, have right? the parade. Day another after parade today? Nuggets. You I would guess? never have two parades. You would never have two parades. It's too expensive, too unwieldy. As you mentioned at the top of the show, too you'd many have, bad things happened parade. yesterday with one parade. Mega parade. And they, and they had last year. A parade for three teams, the high school champions, mm-hmm. the college champions, and the NHL champions on the same parade. Now, obviously, the Avalanche were the featured group, right. but it would have been one parade. Now, I don't know that it would have been yesterday. It might have been early next week. It might have been today. But in any case, it would be one parade. But wouldn't that be something? Yeah, now it's and might. we aired the other day the great Terry Fry. Yeah, might be something pointed out um, uh, the longtime sports writer, columnist, author, that um, NBA champions followed by NHL champions did happen it before. Has happened. I was incorrect. I should have thought of this. Uh, it happened when I was really following sports closely, and it happened not in the city I grew up in, but a city close by, the Boston Celtics, the Bill Russell Celtics, won their final title of the Russell era in 1969. The next spring, Boston won the Stanley Cup with Bobby Orr flying through oh, the air right. to score the famous 
uh, goal in overtime that gave the Bruins a four-game sweep over Scotty Bowman's St. Louis Shame Blues on you for not remembering something off so, the top of your head from a half so, century well, ago. Well, <laughs> I should have remembered it. And when Terry first mentioned it, I said, no, there was a separation. And he said, no, you're wrong. And I was, in fact, incorrect that it did happen for Boston. That's the only other time it's happened with an NBA champion one year and an Still NHL wildly champion following the next year. Yeah. And, of course, as we mentioned the other day, it's happened. If you throw football and baseball in there, it's happened before. But we're talking about NBA, NHL, or NHL, NBA, whatever the sequence And basically is. the idea is, is you're talking about the— This is the, the first time that the hockey team yeah. has won, followed by the, uh, the basketball, basketball team, because in Boston it was the basketball team winning, and then— uh, but that's, the hockey that's team, but out of Bill Russell and Bobby Orr, I probably should have remembered that they because wanted back to back. The vast games. majority of the time, and still to this day, even with stadiums for everything, you know, by and large, your hockey and your basketball team play in the same building. And so that's that's an the interesting part of the Garden equation. And now Ball Arena. Right. And so when you look at the, so it's still a highly infrequent, of course, if Vegas is right, we'll have that whatever, super, super mega ultra parade next year, I guess, you, you know. Plan accordingly, everybody. We'll see. But we'll see. yeah, you know, I think I think that's one of the reasons you look at not only the Nuggets themselves, but the state of the league. And, and let me roll off out of those top twenty again some of the younger players. You know, I talked about we talked about Embiid, talked about Doncic, we talked about Giannis, of course. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, tremendous young player. Oklahoma City's not ready. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, the Pacers. Pacers aren't ready. Uh, the Cleveland with Donovan Mitchell, they were in there uh, maybe, I guess, in the mix, but they don't really look like a threat at this point. Uh, the Sacramento Kings, DeMontis Sabonis uh, was up there. Kings obviously looked well, good with the majority of the year. And the uh, guard is a great yes. player. Uh, John Morant suspended for the Darren first 25 Pop. games of next year yeah. already, so and that's a bit I of a thought, mess. I was surprised that he got off as lightly as he did. I thought 40 games or half a season, I guess, would be 41 at minimum. And, uh, 25 is close to a third of the so season. So even That's when no you're talking about the, the young ascending talent alongside the Nuggets, their team is not in the position that the Nuggets are. So the Nuggets are really not, you know, I, you know, I haven't researched every season in history of the, the NBA, but they are in an unusual position in which the league itself is undergoing um, a shift. Of those repeat champions. And, and the Nuggets find themselves in an ideal spot. The one that's closest to the Nuggets, in my opinion, is the Houston Rockets because those were the two years that Jordan missed. Well, one entire season. Right. That was 93-94. Bulls point. had won three in a row. Jordan's out for the whole season playing baseball. Misses most of the next season, 94-95, but does come back at the end. The Bulls lose to Orlando in the playoffs. Orlando goes into the finals, I believe, and – I don't know if there's research that can confirm this or not, but I believe Orlando was favored. They were so imposing with Shaq and Penny Hardaway and the, all the rest that even against a repeat champion, I believe they were favored. What happened? Houston swept them four straight. Right. Nick Anderson missed those free throws and, uh, at the end of game one, and uh, Orlando was never heard from again, at least not in that series. And uh, Orlando is still waiting for its first championship. They were favored to win one in 1995. Houston won. But one full year without Jordan and most of a second year without Jordan certainly worked to their advantage. 
they looked to be on the ropes at various times in the 94-95 season. They won. That's the team that I look at among all these teams That's a great, and say uh, if the Nuggets repeated Olajuwon, Nikola Jokic, Clyde Drexler, Jamal Murray, just saying. They ended up being these sort of uh, creamy Oreo filling between uh, six Bulls titles. Bulls won three, then Houston won two, and then the Bulls won three again. And sometimes that's the 90s what it was takes. a dynasty decade. And sometimes the National Basketball Association, you had Detroit at the start, you had Chicago winning three in a row twice, and you had Houston repeating as champions. And I guess you could throw the Lakers kind of sort of in as champions from uh, 2000 through 2002. The, about a 12-year period there, dynasty teams reign supreme. Well, we'll find out if that happens with the Denver Nuggets, obviously. Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit, but we want to know what you think on a Friday. 303-831-1340 is the number. Uh, we had a man on the scene. It wasn't us because, you know, Sandy and I had to be here, but our own Danny Bailey was there. We're going to we're gonna hit him up for some of the inside information next on Milo Sports. Just watch. Don't believe me, just watch. Don't believe me, just watch. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Happy Friday. Another rainy Friday on tap, but anyway. No rain during the parade yesterday. That ended up being a tremendous amount of fun, obviously. Uh, our own Danny Bailey was there, and, uh, and and what I love about it is, you know, uh, Danny wasn't there to, I, I appreciate that. Uh, Danny wasn't there to work. Danny was there to have some fun. Danny was there to be a fan, which I, I like. And uh, basically, Danny, we want, we wanted to hear from you about it. So, like, walk us through it. Like, where, where, did, you, where did you set up? How early did you have to get there? Uh, what, 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 give us some highlights. Well, Sean, uh, you were right. I mean, um, the weather was great, which was the main thing. I was a little worried we might get some rain in the Quarter afternoon, but didn't have to worry in about the it. Park, yeah. not a not a great. Yeah, as everyone scrambles. Yeah, so but um, that, I wasn't there as early as a lot of people. They were saying on the news coverage there were people there at four thirty a.m., which Woo. I was still sound asleep, so I didn't get there that early. But I walked down to Seventeenth uh, and Welton around probably ten fifteen, and we got there perfect timing right as the parade was kind of pulling up we were hoping that Jokic maybe had been given a police horse to ride right unfortunately that wasn't the case Um, but just the interactions between the fans and the players and coach um, and then there were of course all the other employees of the team and so there was a a truck that had the stats team on it and they had a big sign on the side of the truck and so I cheered real loud for those guys because a lot of historical stats by this team this year. So uh, all those Jokic and Murray triple doubles uh, that we got to see, credit to those guys for keeping good stats. But it w- it was an incredible scene. And then once the parade came through and uh, everyone kind of headed towards Civic Center Park, it was an absolute madhouse there as well. Uh, street vendors, food trucks, everybody making some good money. A lot of people selling T-shirts all over. But... It was just, uh, you could really see how much the city embraced this team, especially this year. But there there were people there of all ages, people who have been lifelong Nuggets fans since the old days, yeah. and people who have been lifelong Nuggets fans since just 
the early 2000s, a lot of young kids there. Yeah, it's fucking rocking it their happens jerseys. early, right? And, and yeah. it's summer break, so tons of kids get to come out. I know I know a lot of people that, you know, took the day off from work so they could bring their kids and, and, and go see that sort of thing because you don't know when it'll happen again. Uh, uh, that, that part's really cool. You know, it's kind of the, the Denver Post had a had a, a great line about it today, and I, I apologize. I don't know the, the, the writer offhand, but but talked about how, of course, is you're, you're dealing with uh, so much uh, frustration at times. And I apologize. It was the whole editorial board of the Post today that, that brought up the idea that, you know, things are always tense and they're tight. And it's been frustrating in Denver and who knows politics is going to be right back into it soon enough. But uh, brought up the note, our divisions cannot be so great if something as simple as basketball can bring us all back together in shared celebration. And uh, I, I think that's that's kind of that's why sports are cool. That's why it's fun, right? It's just that other, that other person's hanging over there in the Nuggets jersey as excited as you are. I don't know. I don't know what, well, you know, what what their political leaning is, uh, where they come from, what what what, what any of that doesn't matter. And, and it's kind of a, a wonderful piece of uh, connective tissue for a community. And I think that's that's why we end up sort of celebrating those moments. But I, but I was I was with you. I was secretly hoping that. Somehow, someone got, and I had to look it up because I don't know what you called the uh, the buggies that are that are behind uh, harness racing horses. It's it's called a sulky, by the way. Uh, thank you, Wikipedia, for uh, that's that's those uh, those little two wheeled little buggies that are behind it. I was hoping beyond hope. I mean, Colorado has so many horses, uh, so many places that somebody somewhere uh, would have been able to maybe find a way to get Jokic uh, one of those to ride down the town in, but. Uh, no such luck. That to settle for the fire truck. But then again, you know, for for, for Yoke, he, he rides in the little silkies. Maybe the the fire truck was fun. I mean, he wasn't like riding on top of a fire truck. I, don't, I mean, yeah, it can't be can't be bad. And it was cool to see too the uh, the fire trucks, not just from Denver, but from all over Colorado, yeah. which yeah. is awesome. That yeah. everybody gets to be a part of it. It was the whole state enjoying it and soaking it in. So, yeah, it was special stuff. It was. Uh, it's always cool to see the players up close and personal. And realize how and, actually huge they are for yeah. the average fan that doesn't oh, realize yeah. that when you're DeAndre Jordan was one of the first guys that came <laughs> right. down the street, and it was crazy just how he towers over everyone. Yeah, people, you look, you look when you look at it on the. On, I think that's always funny. I, I had a, a couple friends of mine that went too, and and those same thing. They were like, "Man, Jamal Murray's big." Like, yeah, for a normal human being, Jamal Murray's actually really big. He just doesn't look that big on an NBA court. <laughs> but for normal humans, he's towering over everybody. You know, over here at My Life Sports, you know, when Doug Ottawa walks in. They're like, oh my gosh, look at Doug Ottawa. Well, Doug Ottawa's like an inch taller than Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray's not even that big a guy on the Nuggets. So, I mean, yeah, you get a, a chance to see those guys in person. They were certainly having a, an awful lot of fun. So, that it, it's it's terrific to get that experience and, and watch the whole town enjoy it. But I I think there is something something to this, Sandy. I think, I think we did stumble upon something kind of together here. Because my my instinct is one, if it took you and everyone, I know it's oh, 47 years. It's not 47 years, it's 56. 56 years. Stop saying 47 years. The Denver Rockets existed and they counted. Uh, they're for real. That's a thing. 56 years. So if you get one title in 56 seasons, uh, the thought that, oh, well, next one's coming immediately, uh, I, I recoil. But at the same time, you know, you talked about that window where the league's power structure was sort of upended by a set of circumstances, which happened from time to time with the Rockets in the mid nineties, interrupting the Bulls dynasty. And I pointed out that among the top 20 players in the league, for the most part, about half of them 
are likely to have their careers in decline as opposed to improve. And a lot of those players that are likely to improve are not on teams that are right where the Nuggets are. So, so what we sort of walked through, I think, is interesting. That is a very good reason to believe this is possible. Only Bruce Brown, out of players that have significant minutes, by the time this series was over, is up in the air when it comes to the contract situation. And the, the league, in many cases, is, is aging, and the Nuggets worked their way through a lot of them already. They are, I suppose, along with, you know, we looked at the, the odds in Boston's there, and I think Milwaukee will be there too. But Memphis was a, an ascendant team that is now a disaster with the John Morant situation that nobody knows what's going on there. And they were one of the more dangerous teams in the West. Uh, Sacramento is twos, a bonus, and Fox, as you pointed out. So I think Sacramento, is, if not a, uh, I'm not going to say sleeping giant, but a team of concern going forward in the Western Conference, I think that's fair. But the Nuggets are, as it stands today, head and shoulders have been in the West because they've been dominating it for months, and they're more or less going to have the same roster coming back. And given the fact that we talk about those all-time greats, that this that situation where the Rockets, a very good team, if not a historically great team, but a very, very good team with multiple Hall of Famers on them, uh, Elijah Wanda Drexler leading the way, happen to take advantage of that window and, and take back-to-back victories. And I do think that alignment is about what we're seeing with the Denver Nuggets in the NBA right now. I think that's a very good reason to believe in it because I think there are similarities to that. And you don't want to get ahead of it. And I know there's bravado in these first couple of days, and I, I understand that. We talked about the challenges in the beginning of the show about coaches winning multiples. It's very hard to do. It's a very uh, short list of, of people. But this does feel like one of those sort of once-in-a-blue-moon windows in which the Nuggets, if they are able to remain, the avalanche or a cautionary tale, if they are healthy. able to remain healthy, I was just thinking that. then <laughs> there's a chance here. There's a real chance here. It, it, there's always a question about that, and it can afflict young teams too, and... I, I think of the Seattle Seahawks who demolished the Broncos at Super Bowl 48, came back and qualified the next year and had the game won apparently before New England almost literally stole it from them by intercepting a late game yep. Russell Wilson pass and never got back to the Super Bowl again. And they had one of the youngest Super Bowl championship teams of all and, again, couldn't get back. Uh, repeat champions in the history of the Super Bowl, relatively uncommon teams who won three Super Bowls in a row. It's never happened. Never happened. Uh, when we talk about the Nuggets, one other note, if we're talking about winning percentage all-time in the playoffs among coaches, who have coached at least 60 games in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And I've just made a few notes here. Um, Boston, in the top 25, has five right. coaches. Harback, Heinsohn, Casey Jones, Bill Russell, Doc Rivers. Right. Miami has Riley and Spolstra. That's it. Milwaukee has Costello and Budenholzer. That's it. Philadelphia has Cunningham and Hannum. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's it. You know how many Denver has? Three. 
in the top 25. They have Alex Hannum, who coached the Rockets in the ABA. That's right. They have Michael Malone, of course, and they have Larry Brown. Uh, Hannum ranks 14th in all-time playoff winning percentage among those coaches who have coached at least 60 games. Malone is 21st, and Larry is 25th. So three of the top 25 playoff coaches judged by winning percentage in the history of the sport who have coached at least 60 playoff games. Three of them have coached for this franchise who are in the top 25. Pretty impressive for the supposedly uh, hapless, hapless, mediocre, underachieving Denver Nuggets. And you can throw in if you want to get really detailed for the – all-time great yeah. playoff coach. The Lakers, you can throw in John Kundla, who coached the mini, well, mini, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm saying Minneapolis the Lakers, Lakers are in right. there with Kundla, yeah. Riley, Phil Jackson, and Frank Vogel. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 impressive given the the relative accomplishment levels, for sure, for the, for the NBA being such a league that's based on its history. And it, it's, a, it's a sign, and I think that's what Nuggets fans, I think, feel like they got over the hump with, right? Because it's felt forever as if this team was consistently underappreciated. And I think, Sandy, that, that's that's part of the reason. I think people who have followed the Nuggets for a long, long time realized, wait, there have been a lot of good teams and a lot of good players here. They just couldn't get over the hump and win the whole thing because historically, unfortunately, when you look at the times they maybe, the handful of times they maybe could have been championship contenders, uh, you, with the exception, I guess, of, of the Supersonics in 79, historically great dynastic runs of other franchises happened to overlap. Part of Nugget history tells us that the Denver Nuggets were an NBA team before the Denver Rockets and later on Denver Nuggets were an ABA team. The Denver Nuggets of 1949-1950 were a member of one of the early National Basketball Association teams. All right, now we're digging. I like it. They lasted one year. They went 11-51, and 51, and we all remember the 97-98 Nuggets who went 11-71. and 71. So probably two of the worst five teams in the history That's of the league. That's a 177 winning percentage. the Denver Nuggets. Not great. Right? 11-71 and 71 and 11-51. The Nuggets, fortunately, did not dissolve as they did in 1950. After 1998, although they were hapless to mediocre in ensuing years up until 2004, 03-04, when Jeff Bezdilek engineered one of the great single-season turnarounds in the history of the Denver Nuggets, taking them from 17 wins to 43 in a playoff spot with a little help from Carmelo Anthony. Actually, that was the most impactful, in my opinion, that Carmelo ever was because there wasn't a Chauncey Billups on the 0304 Nuggets. Right, right. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I'd forgotten about that one year with uh, with the Nuggets. I thought in then. many ways Carmelo's best Nugget season was his first Nugget season. Uh, if, in if many people, ways. If, if people remember about that, impact. there were there were arguments at the it time. It was the same team they had the year before. There were arguments uh, during that time Carmelo that Carmelo should have been the rookie of the year and not he LeBron James. He should have been. He had a better year. His team made the playoffs, Yep. and LeBron's did not. Right. Uh, in point of fact, and the second year Carmelo's team made the playoffs, 0-4-0-5, coached by three people, Bastilla, Cooper, and, of course, George Carl. LeBron's team, again, missed the playoffs. The first two years... 
Carmelo Anthony was a better basketball player in the NBA than I agree. LeBron James was. I agree with you His first entirely. years in the league, obviously, throughout their careers, there is no comparison whatsoever, uh, except no. that they shared a lot of Olympic gold medals. And, right? and, and a notable bronze that is yeah. at the bottom of a lake well, somewhere yes, in yes, Colorado. Yes, but, that, that's, yeah. that's not something that's around. But I, I looked at the roster of that 49-50 Nuggets team. They had Wyoming folks who were a member of a certain age. Kenny Sailors, who was one of the first great Wyoming basketball stars. Remember, Wyoming had a tremendous basketball The leading scorer on that Denver Nuggets team. Right? Yep, on that one Nuggets team. Kenny, Kenny Sailors out of Wyoming. And Matt Gukas, who I think we've all heard of, mm-hmm. player, coach, broadcaster for NBC on the number one telecasting team for many years. Father uh, Albert. Al played on that, uh, right? Al Gukas was actually Matt Gukas's uncle. Uncle, okay. Uncle. And uh, there was a Matt Gukas, who was the father of Matt Gukas. But uh, it was uh, an uncle-nephew relationship with Al Gukas on those 49-50 Nuggets. Uh, Probably uh, neither one for the rest of their lives particularly wanted to be remembered as having played for the Denver Nuggets in 1949. No team on that Denver Nuggets uh, team in 1949-1950, by the way. Different league, I get that. Nobody on that team shot even... 40% 40% on the Well, season. that was Three, that, was, was, the that was an era, the first years of the NBA, when shooting 40% was hard to do. Not yeah. many did it, including the great Bob Cousy. Really hard for that Denver Nuggets team. Nobody did it back then. This Denver Nuggets team fares quite a bit better. We'll talk more about it. We want your opinion. 303-831-1340 is the call and text line. We'll be back. Sandy up, Sean, next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Little shout out while it lasts to uh, Colorado's own Wyndham Clark. Yes. Valor uh, High School. Athlete. Still leading. Uh, still leading the U.S. Open out in Los Angeles at the L.A. Country Club at nine under. Uh, shoots now, a 67 today. Caution that. Uh, Ricky the two Fowler. guys who shot 62 <laughs> yesterday they just haven't, started or haven't they started. They haven't yet. even started. Yeah. Uh, Clark yeah. is is in the uh, in it looked a little the clubhouse today. Uh, at, at nine under, you can also buy away. More curious, uh, curious about uh, Wyndham Clark. You can check out the latest My Life Sports magazine. We have a feature and an interview with him. Yeah, uh, in that magazine, you can find that also with Bruce Brown. And uh, yeah, so uh, it, it's uh, unless something I don't know if we can win the U.S. To, uh, Fowler and, and Shoffley who will literally well, start the day one shot out of first, more than likely. Uh, but, you know, hey, take it while you listen, can. Listen, I, I know they love the old courses, but here Cherry Hills is largely been considered obsolete because it's too short. Marion, uh, although they did play one that Justin Rose won, I think, about 10 years ago, I think, a U.S. Open there. But Marion has been dismissed as being too short. The L.A. Country Club is... It's ridiculous. The fairways are way too wide for a U.S. Open. Um, you know, the rough is high, yes, but if their bombing drives 350 yards, they're hitting sand wedges or lob wedges. You can hit those out of the rough if you're a tour pro. I, I mean, it's it's, it, a it's weird ridiculous. Course. And and they were talking yesterday. You could tell the Just the weird. announcers were desperately trying to find a way to say. Anything but, I'm sorry, uh, 
the USGA made a mistake. I, I understand they want to play at the old course, and it's the first open in the L.A. area since, I don't know, Who knows? 78, 79 right. years ago, whatever the number was. It is not a U.S. open course. Now, I don't believe in tricking it up like they did with Shinnecock Hills a time or two over the years. I, I don't believe in that, where any putt you make is going to roll off the green. Right. It's so yeah. severely sloped, and they don't water the greens or anything. But it, it, this, this place, I mean, it's visually a little bit unusual, and I don't mind that, but it's just too short, and the fairways are too wide. And these guys, are. they said on the air yesterday, well, you only need your uh, sand wedge 8 to 10 times, and it's usually 10 to 12. But I'm saying they're using their sand wedge on second shots into almost every par four, right? Right. And yeah. almost everyone. And they're using a sand wedge on par threes. And they're using a sand wedge for second shots on par fives. And I know they're not hitting long irons on par fives for second shots anymore, but they ain't hitting sand wedges. In the U.S. Open and, and, on par fives on second shots. Depending on the pin selection, they're going to have Maybe on thirds a, they are, but not on second shots. There will be shots. a 200, hitting wedges. 290-yard par three on one hole, and a, and potentially, depending on where the, the pin is supposed to be set, a 78-yard par three. Yes, Same and it course. will be 78 yards at some point this weekend, either tomorrow or Sunday. It'll be 78 It'll yards. 78. So it was 124 yesterday, and they can play it at 78. And I... I I mean, listen, you and I would have a very good chance from 78 yards out to birdie a par three. Uh, you and I would. You've seen me putt. You and I, I might par that, on a good day. <laughs> you, you don't think if you had four shots. Now, I know they don't have four shots at the 78-yard right. hole. Now, I'm also definitely not day. a pro. I'm saying if you had Four shots. At 124 to 78-yard hole? No. Or just a 78? I'm saying if you had four shots. Four cracks at it. From 78 yards, you could make a birdie. Ooh. I feel like I could. One out of four times. It would be shocking if you didn't. Mm. And we're, I mean, I'm a 23-24 handicap. Yeah. You're right around that point. Yeah. If I had an 80-yard hole that I could shoot at four times, even the same round, take four tee shots, yeah. an 80-yard hole, I could get it within 10 feet at least once, at least once, and I would be disappointed if I couldn't birdie an 80-yard hole. There are 80-yard par threes around here mm-hmm. on certain courses, executive courses right. and so on. There are 80-yard par threes, and... I know I play one out at uh, family sports on a fairly regular basis, and I make birdie or par. I mean, it's impossible not to. I did actually, <laughs> and and the court the course is not called uh, called that anymore. I don't remember what it was, but uh, when I was younger, and I I maybe played a little bit more uh, with with my grandfather way uh, way back when. At what used to be the old uh, Windsor Gardens golf course, and now I, I want to say right. it's called Emerald, right. Emerald, Emerald Greens. I think yeah, is what I they call it, it now. I, I think I, it is. I think, but I played that many times, yeah, especially very, when I was yeah starting. I, I played that one growing up, and I that was the closest because yeah, yeah. They, well, their, that was all par three. Their third hole was about four. an eighty-five yeah. yard yeah. par yeah, I remember three. It. 
I remember. And that is the closest I've ever come. I, I literally came about an inch from a hole in one. It trickled well, back. I've had one hole in one in my life. There. What? In Williamsburg, Virginia. Never played with And it was on again. a 120-yard par three. And this yesterday played 124 yards. And Just I'm telling throw you, it, there and hope it you was lucky. not a harder hole. It was not a harder hole. So, again, if we took enough shots at it from 80 yards, you might have to wait a few days. <laughs> right. But you could probably come pretty close to a hole-in-one. The other near hole-in-one I made was with a seven iron from about 150 yards out at Family Sports. You made a hole-in-one. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm never playing golf with you again. Now what am well, I going to do? You don't have to be. You just have to play a lot. I mean, my father played a lot, particularly in retirement. He made holes in one. What? <laughs> if you play every day, you, you play every day, you you're say going that. to make one. You say that. Hey, you're going to make regular one. Regular golfers, how many of you are that I, no, cavalier about your holes skill. in one? It's not it's, skill. It's skill it's to get luck. it close and then a little it's luck. It's luck. It's, it's luck. And yeah. it's luck for pros, too. They yeah. play all the time, and they're better than we right. are, so they're going to make more. Right. But they play all the time. You're not trying to make yeah, more. We never don't try play to make all the time. Money. No. We we play, no. what, 12 to I am, 18 times oh, a summer? If I'm lucky. I'm, I'm very concerned about the welfare of my fellow man, so I try to keep it to a minimum out there so I don't hurt people or damage property or uh, a bunch of other things. Although I am I am playing with my father. On 80-yard par threes, you won't damage That's anything true. except Not the flag snake. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to play this Sunday with my father for Father's Day, so that'll be a, that'll be a lot of fun. And, uh, and he'll probably smoke me like he usually does, despite the fact he's, well, old enough that he probably shouldn't clobber me, but he will. It's just the way it goes. The, uh, if you are injured, obviously, you need a win, and that's why we like to recommend you to our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com. The phone number is 720-845-7001. Hire the winner and their personal injury attorneys are exactly that. Years of experience fighting for their clients. Locations all over the front range. Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, DTC, the Colorado Springs, even up north in Cheyenne. That personal injury office, their main one, of course, is right here in the tech center where we are at Mile High Sports. So when you're injured, they'll push for you to get the maximum recovery, whether that's by settlement or by trial. So look. Don't hire the person you see off a billboard or the TV commercial. Uh, find someone who will fight for you. That's our friends at Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com, and the phone number is 720-845-7001. Hire the winner, Burnham Law. We talked about the impact of this Nuggets win, especially on folks uh, that have maybe been born and raised here and been watching the, the Nuggets their whole lives. Well, we'll be joined by one of them as well, our good friend Justin Adams. CBS News Colorado was uh, at Game 5, was at the parade, and we'll also, of course, talk to the former football player about Denver Broncos minicamp, which wrapped up yesterday. We'll do that next on My Life Sports.